Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 135. Today my guest is Don Aberly and Don is the uh, what used equipment manager, head used equipment manager for Titan Machinery. Does that sound right? All right, sounds good. So I I know I've known Don for a while now, a couple years now. I met Don. <coughs> A while back at a meeting, and, and we've uh, we've been uh, kind of bouncing stuff back and forth from each other for a while. And I'm a firm believer in uh, in contacts, and, and especially in this business, you know, when you've got used equipment stuff going on, as many uh, uh, off color guys that you can have. That's not your not in your wheelhouse normally, you know. Me being a John Deere guy, Titan being a uh, and Don being a, a red guy, it's it's good to have that that correlation between each other. So when I get a red piece, I can bounce it off of him, or and vice versa. So Don, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, Casey, I appreciate you having me. And I, and you're right, I do appreciate uh, having contacts that are, as you put, off color. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's important in this uh, industry. I mean, it's uh, it's too small of an industry. Uh, we all need to be helping each other out rather than beating each other over the, over the head every day. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's there's a little truth to that statement. A little bit of a truth to that statement. So there's uh, the dollars. Dollars are too. Uh, there's too much. Too much dollars at stake with some of the values of this equipment. That's for sure, man. There is a. Uh, you can wrap up a few dollars pretty quick, and and just uh, there's not too many pieces of equipment. So yeah, that would be correct. Sort of like a planner that I asked you about the other day. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, especially those things, man. I tell you what, you miss on those by much, and you're uh, you're uh, you sunk your ship, man. <laughs> All right, I hear you, man. I hear you. Okay. Well, I wish I'd have had you on when there was there was uh, more to talk about. There's not very much stuff going on in the market right you now. You know, so. there just isn't. You know, it's kind of no excitement. Uh, nothing going on with tariffs. Nothing going on with our nothing president. Uh, equipment nothing flying off the off the shelves. I mean, it's, there's just nothing going on. It's just too easy right now, right? <laughs> I, I, I get. I go back to an article you wrote a while back. There is no easy button. Uh, uh, it's never it's easy true. in this industry. But the beautiful part about this industry is, gosh darn, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? That's right. Uh, That's exactly right. A lot of stuff going. A lot of stuff going on. What do you think? A lot of stuff going on. What do you think about this? Uh, our, our favorite uh, topic of, of the last uh, few days. Well, I tell you what, man. <sighs> You hear the tariff thing come back and forth, and, and you know, I'm not saying that when I say this, I've said this a couple times, and I'm not saying this with any kind of, uh, like, I'm trying to pass fault or anything like that, but I, I tell you what, if you take a look at the market right now, and let's just say we didn't have any tariffs at all, let's just say it didn't even, wasn't even happening, and that wasn't a factor in the marketplace, we got... We have nine times the amount of beans that we would normally have on carryout. We have um, now corn, on the other hand, is one of those ones that's starting to reverse where our corn consumption is actually starting to catch up with with uh, with, with supply. Uh, yeah. with supply yeah. You know, so that's that's taken off. But you know, cattle market through this whole tariff thing, 
has done fine. I mean, I'm not say it's done fine. I want to sit here and pretend like paint some rosy picture, but it's been they've had more wins than losses. Let's put it that way. The hog market. I mean, I've God dang man. I tell you what, I, I just feel for the hog producer. I don't, I don't think they've had a chance to really ever kind of catch their breath since the 90s when they were giving hogs away for free alongside the road but uh, you know i mean i think that hog thing though with the old china thing i think we'll uh they'll finally see a little bit of light yeah absolutely yeah we're gonna see we're gonna see a chance for that a little bit of rebound there but um you know trump came out yesterday and and said well, the last two weeks he's had a couple of conversations where one revolved around you know what we're gonna go ahead and and uh Get these tariffs back up and going. We're gonna we're gonna tear it now. Everything that China says this is tariffed. There's nothing out there that's not. I mean that was <laughs> that was the last fell swoop. So I mean if it comes from China, you're paying 25 percent more for it. Right. Just right. how it works, you know. Um, so now we've got that in place, and then he, he did say that he thought he could have a uh, have a winner of a deal put together by by June 1st, which is two weeks away. But in in typical Trump fashion, when you're looking at this. Uh, at this whole thing, we've been we've been two weeks away from a deal since last February. So I mean, it's 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 you know a lot of things going on there. But I don't know. I think I think we'd kind of be in a similar boat right now if there weren't no tariffs in place. Um, is it easy to say that? Yeah. Well, this this that and the other thing is is what was what's causing it. It's the tariffs that's bringing it down even further. Maybe. Uh, but I, I still feel like that that we'd be similar boat that we're in now. I don't know. You know, you look at uh, our economy and how well it's going. Uh, and things right. things are going well. Uh, I had a coworker the other day tell me um, he made this comment. Uh, Chad Kilstead, he said, uh, uh, "Can you imagine what our economy would do, would be doing if the ag economy was helping?" You know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of truth to that. You know this whole tariff thing. You know, good, bad, and different. Uh, I tend to agree that uh, things would probably still be where they're at even without the tariffs i probably not as hard for the guys the soybeans and uh, some of that stuff going on but uh our economy is doing pretty good uh, you just wish yeah. that the, the farmers would not have to have that that uncertainty i mean we all know yep. when there's uncertainty you can't plan you, know, you don't invest uh, you can't think long term uh you're worried about your bills you're worried about your loans those type of things so that's that's bad um Yep. And you sort of want the tariff thing to to settle. You know, the thing is, you know, when the tariffs do, and, and a deal will get done. I mean, Trump needs it for his oh, election. Absolutely. China needs it. At the end of the day, they need us. Um, we need them. But, um, you know, even when it does settle, uh, I don't think there's going to be this huge, We on the equipment side of it at least, we think there's going to be this huge bump or there's this huge rush to go buy equipment. I mean, there's a replacement demand out there for sure. But at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of people in debt. And uh, yeah. it'd be nice to get some commodity prices going up and maybe sell some stock or some stuff that they have in storage. But I think that just takes care of some past debt, maybe eliminates a little bit of stress. Uh, but I don't anticipate, you know, a huge... Uh, run on equipment what about yourself yeah I, i'm gonna agree with that i mean like you said there's a there's a replacement kind of air out there you know guys are looking at their equipment they've had it since 2012 13 14 something like that yeah. and they've got 
they've got twice as many hours on it they would normally have this at this particular juncture and where they would be at but on the other side too there's also a big a big repayment push out there as well i mean some of these guys i'm not going to say that that everyone's behind because that's not true but from an equity standpoint there's a lot of folks out there that are hanging by a thread when it comes to what their banks willing to do with them because of their equity positions and different stuff, you know. So well, you look, I think you look at the debt to uh, asset ratio. I think going yeah. on five six years now, it's it's been on the rise. I mean, yep. uh, just because there's a bump in commodity prices doesn't mean it wipes wipes away the past five years. No, and I, I look at um, when I'm looking at the end of the year, I really feel like we're going to see a big jump in in corn prices. I mean. I think we could have 450 corn by by this fall, um, just because of. I mean, look at what's going on right now with weather. I mean, look what happened yesterday in the markets, right? <laughs> so today we're recording this. It's it's uh, May 14th. So yesterday we had a we had a 20 almost a 20 cent reversal from the low Sunday night till the, the close and what opened back up last night. So we had a 20 cent swing. So we went, at one point corn was down. Seven and a half, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the December contract, and this morning when or last night when I went to bed, I looked at my alert for when it opened, and it was up seven fifty. You know what I mean? So it was, you know, you take a look at that. That there's some huge. That's a huge swing in the marketplace, man. That's you're talking about dynamically nice. just flipping completely around to, to the other way and those are the kind of things i think we're going to start seeing now as we start look at this 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 weather market that's developing i mean um you're in where are you at you're up in south dakota right no i'm up in north dakota up in north dakota, north dakota. Fargo, okay west fargo north dakota today west fargo okay so what's the weather like up there what's what's uh how's the ground temperature what's what's going on up there well i will tell you this as far as you know uh, tight machinery is in a few a uh, few states as far as our footprint goes you know, Nebraska, uh, of course, you know Nebraska well. But up here in North Dakota, you know, we got uh, guys talking about PP. Uh, I mean, uh, we got, what, mm-hmm. May 20th is our deadline for corn. And, and you, yep. you got some guys that haven't turned to planted a seed yet. Um, you know, and then we got, uh, we had a nice day yesterday, a uh, little bit nice day today. But now we got rain coming in. And you're talking yep. almost an inch and a half, two inches of rain. So now you're looking at the end of next week or middle of next week before you get in the field. And, and now be, corn becomes not an option. Um, right. You know, so then you go to plant beans, but we all know what's going on with beans, but right. uh, you, you do anticipate, well, the thing about beans, we just got, even if you do get some beans in and the, uh, the commodity price, I mean, there's just so much volume out there. You can't plant uh, wheat, you know, we're too late for wheat. Um, so you just get more and more of the PP talk going on. Well, that's the thing, too. You look at that. That's the other part of that. All right. So my anticipation this year was, you know what, we're going to we're going to because there's nothing the farmer loves to do more than farm. Right. That's why they're a farmer. Right, but right. The, and you take a look at what's going on. Their options are so limited once you get outside of the corn window. Right. You start. I'm going to go out and plant two, 2,500 2, acres worth of soybeans right now. You're you're giving them away at that point. You know, you, we had beans are under eight bucks yesterday, and then figuring basis and everything else, you're seven fifty, yeah. seven forty a bushel. You're, you know what I mean? You can't make any money at that right now. There was a conversation I had the other day. A farmer needed um, his banker told him he needed forty seven bushels an acre across his entire farm just to break even. 
Uh, yeah. and, and that's on beans. I mean, cause he's, he's right. getting too late in corn. Okay. Now you got to switch to beans and, uh, and it's just tough. It's almost as bad as, you know, talking about beans and corn and you talk about the dairy guys, you know, for how many years, oh, God bless them. Yeah. How many years do they work up, work sun up to sundown and not, not make a penny. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yep. I, I just, and with that being said, that's one of the reasons why you love this industry. There's just oh, yeah. the work ethic of our industry is is bar none. Yep. It's a it's such a passionately driven business. You know what I mean? Like where where else would you go and and kill yourself every day, a day in and day out, <laughs> to make a few pennies, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and do what they do. It's just, I, but on the flip side of that, there's, there's times they go in and, and, and bust their ass day in and day out, like 2012, 13, 14. Well, basically 2006 to 2013. And I mean, they, they couldn't, they haven't every, every farm had a Brinks truck backing up to it. You know what I mean? But it's just a cyclical thing, right? It's, there's no, it's like any other natural resource. You got booms and you got busts. And, Unfortunately, we're they, at the bottom of a of a of a trough anyway. Well, we're, we're you're talking about the bottom of the trough. I mean, we're uh, we've been at uh, at the lower end of that trough, or I think we've reached the bottom. Um, I don't yeah. think yeah. Uh, we can go down any farther. Uh, you don't see interest rates uh, jump into the roof over the next couple of years. You anticipate some China situation being solved, but I mean, overall blocking and tackling our overall dynamics of our economy. Um, I, I feel that we're on our way up, not, uh, we're not, uh, hedging our bets about going lower. Uh, I think our used equipment values, you know, we're, we're in the used equipment business. Uh, we're not seeing those drops like we, we have in the past, Yeah, you know? So I, I mean, there's, there's pretty gosh darn, uh, it's going to, I don't want to say that you're going to have this huge bump. I mean, but it's, I made a comment to you about back to the new normal, you know, I, I right. that steady flow of transactions, I think will occur. I just mm-hmm. don't think there'll be that. You talked about the boom a minute ago. There's not going to be a boom. I mean, it's going to be a five no. to 10 year <laughs> trough uh, to get back to, I, I, I still will not use the word boom. I just think it's a steady flow of trans, transactions. You know, it, it's it's the one thing about the seed companies. They've, they've gone out in order to increase their market share and, and to, to sell more product and, and to increase stock values and stuff like that. Once the United States had become a very mature market, and Canada, for that matter, um, have become mature markets, you know, you look at two places, they started looking outside of that and, and trying to figure out how to how to increase their market share. And the easiest way for them to do that were to start looking at, at other countries. And you start seeing countries like Brazil come online yeah, and, yeah. and countries like Argentina come online. And you start looking at what's happening in Africa and, and what their biggest limiting factor is, is infrastructure, right? So once that infrastructure thing gets put in place, then all of a sudden you've got this huge, I mean, we have a global market now, but if you have everybody had a similar infrastructure to to what the U.S. has, even though we have our issues with age and those different things like that, could you imagine what what the market would look like then? I mean, it would give uh, it, it would not be it would take off and go crazy. No, it wouldn't be. But I think on the bigger grand scale scheme of things, if you take a look at the number of U.S. farmers that we have right now and Canadian farmers for that matter, um, and what that looks like, that number, you know, I looked at a report the other day from the USDA. Pretty sure it's USDA. Anyway, saw a report someplace, but it was talking about the overall 
farm structure, and they have a, they have a pretty old more, uh, kind of model. You know, anything over two thousand acres is a is a right. huge mega farmer, right? Well, that's a that's a pretty vast group. When you get above 2,000, 2000 acres, right? Uh, I don't know if I can but the point there, a big farmer, but nowadays, but uh, keep going. That's exactly right. So, but the uh, the big part about that that was interesting was that it was on the the ends that were growing, right? It was it was the large five six thousand plus acre farmer that was growing, mm-hmm. and then it was the on the other side of that it was the the one hundred two hundred you know. 50 acre type stuff that was growing on the other side, the, the, what, you know, rural lifestyle hobby farmer type thing, you know, weekend warrior type of deal growing on the other side. So if you take that, the other side, the big tracts of land that these guys are coming up against, we're seeing in our, on our area where you've got guys that are, and it's not so much that they're, they're going out of business because that's not true, but the guy's retiring. And as he retires, he's looking at his, Seven hundred fifty thousand or a million dollars worth of, of of land and equipment and everything else that he can auction off and retire on. Even if he were to have son or daughter come back into the operation, there's not enough there to maintain that family that's coming in and also pay for for dad's retirement. And I, and I think that's a uh, that's getting to be a bigger deal. Um, it has and it's really not the farm failure thing that that's grown. Yeah, you read a lot of articles about. You know bankruptcies and this, that, and the other stuff that you hear from, like the the Casey Fed and those kind of things, like that. But I think, in my my opinion, it's just there's not enough for multiple people to 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 operate off. Are you seeing something similar in your area? Uh, I would agree there. I mean, you can't. You hear about the kids coming back home, and there's just not enough, as you just said, not enough there to support that family, and then. Uh, the brother or the sister and the grandma and grandpa, the dad's retirement, there, there's just not enough there. The margins are so slim, you know, and then you try to get more land to try to increase that volume per se. Then uh, along with that comes the expenses. There's just not enough there to support multiple generations on a farm. But that, you know, yeah. that leads into uh, diversification. Uh, I think farming will continue evolve, to evolve just like it always has. You know, the, the made a comment a minute ago about how much I love this industry. They always find a way. You know, they, well, you have no money, you find a way to repair. Um, you need a piece of equipment or you need a new way to put a seed in the ground, they find a way. Um, and just like the... the they'll find different crops to grow. They'll find a different way to have different revenue streams into the farm. There might be more niche stuff going on. There might be different, um, different crops in the corn, bean, and soybeans, or excuse me, the corn, bean, and wheat. So, I mean, heck, you hear stories about uh, how people start a fish farm, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And those things are popping up in the the most... uh Unusual areas. <laughs> Unusual areas. You know, you think you the South, you know, has been always growing catfish and those kind of things. But you're talking about guys up around my area. There's there's aquaculture up here. There's yeah, yeah. people up in North and South Dakota. All you really need is a, is a barn to keep stuff warm, and you can kind of grow fish about any time of the year, I guess. You know, we just talked a minute ago about the uh, people finding a way. You know, you talk about these autonomous vehicles. Um, yeah. I, I think one of your podcasts talked about uh, – can't get any bigger in equipment, and we can't. I mean, the roadways don't support it. Uh, um, you don't have enough labor. You don't have enough time in the day. 
Um, right. Uh, you know, you have to think of these autonomous vehicles and uh, uh, go with smaller equipment. I mean, that's yeah might be the way of the future, or not might be. It will be the way of the future. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a big push right now on the farm labor side of stuff, and it's uh, that's why we have. 54 row planters you know what i mean it's not so much the labor side of it but it's these tight windows that we see right correct yeah you know if a guy's got seven days of planning and on bookend by by seven days of rain on both sides of that you got to make the most out of those three or four days that you have to actually go out and plant something you know what i mean and you watch twitter and everything else and you start seeing these guys look at their monitors and they're planting 120 acres an hour well my neck of woods, that's a circle, right? If you plant one circle an hour, you got 40 circles in 40 hours, you're done, right? right? right. And, and that's that's a what used to take two or three weeks to do. Now it takes you, if you really get after it, it might take you three or four days to get it done. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, you look at today's May 14th. Again, talking to a different farmer here two days ago, it's May 14th. He hasn't planted uh, a single corn seed. And uh, it's May 14th. Well, yesterday was May 13th. Uh, Windows May twentieth, so you got seven days. It's going to rain three, four of those seven days, and he still hasn't made the decision not to plant corn because he has a big enough planter to where he could run out for two, three days and get most of his corn crop in. So yeah. to your point, the the bigger equipment, but I just think long term, uh, you you can't get equipment that's you don't want to say you can't, but uh, it's not very efficient just to get bigger and bigger and bigger equipment. Uh, as you well, know. yeah. Well, the other part, other side of that too, when you start taking a look at a planner, for example, yeah. let's just use that to stay on that topic for a minute. Well, I, you see these stuff out here where they've got like uh, I saw one the other day where a guy had uh, I want to say it was a fifty-four row, might have been a DB one hundred and twenty or something like that. But you know, you have two uh, two central commodity fuel st- uh, stations on that thing, and you've got all this stuff going on. Plus, you're pulling a big, huge fertilizer tank behind it, and just it's it's a it's a goddamn train just going down the road, man. I mean, it's just it's it's, it's you know when you get it all put together. Hey, we had a guy the other day move his planter from his farm to his to his northern end of his of his farming territory, and he had to get a crane truck to move his trailer. It's seventy nine feet long it's, uh, to make it. To, so we didn't have a trailer that could move it. You know, so it was just stuff efficient. like that, that. That's not efficient. No, that's not, it's not. You're not making. You don't want to say you're not making money. There's a reason why he does it, but you just you can't have equipment that big. And you talk about equipment that big, and how many farmers can afford it? Number one, right? But it's it's two three years down the road when you want to go trade it off. And from an equipment dealership point of view, who the hell we, yep. who the hell are we going to sell it to? Exactly right. It's exactly right because the guy that's going to buy that planter. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to paint with a broad brush and say that they're only a new buyer, but they're probably going to buy new, cool. right? Correct, correct. So, you know, you're not going to have a lot of used guys, you know, the smaller acreage guys going like, you know what, I've got, I got 4,000 acres, you know, I could, I could plant in about 72 hours and be done with this thing. No one's thinking like that, right? I mean, yeah, they are like, it'd be great to have something like that. But then once you get a piece of equipment like that, the other side of that coin is, all the support equipment that you have to have to make it run efficiently. Correct. You know what Correct. I mean? How many seed tenders do you need to have? How many trucks you got to have? How many, you know, all just on and on and on. Just like getting a bigger combine. You know, you go from a class seven to a class nine combine. Well, all of a sudden, 
now you need a, a, a head and you don't, you don't need a, a 35 foot head. You need a, you need a 45 foot head to make it run efficiently and do what you need to do and make it, make it feed properly and everything else. Now you need an extra truck or you need an extra grain cart or an extra track. I mean, it's just a, it's just a bigger and bigger deal. And that's what, that, that's the thing that when you start talking about those kind of things, it's, it's not so much the, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna just get a bigger combine. It's well, I'm gonna get a bigger combine, but I'm also gonna have to do X, Y, and Z to keep up with it. Otherwise, you're really doing the same amount you had with your class seven, class eight combine. Uh, correct. I again, a bigger just creates more problems. But you know, I'll, I'll repeat the statement. Uh, well, well, we've always figured out a way, and they'll continue to figure oh, yeah. out a way to farm. Yep. Yeah, it's going to it's going to continue down that road. So, let's talk about a few a few pieces of equipment right now. Um, my biggest concern I have in the marketplace right now, and it's always my biggest concern. If you listen to this podcast, you know it's my biggest concern. It's combines. Um, and you look at the look at the, we track combines and and where they um, how they how they fit into the to the overall grand scheme picture. And it looks like the used combine inventory is growing across uh, North America. Um, all across all lines. So, what are you seeing up your way, and, and how do you feel about that market? Uh, combines, um, we're in a little bit different boat. Just the stores, I uh, can't compliment our stores high enough, and the discipline that uh, that they've done. Uh, we're actually um, short combines. Um, we know that there's that bubble, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteens. We all know it. Um, they all hold on. They're held onto the combines longer than longer than they normally would have. There's just that bubble where everybody had money. Everybody went out and bought an extra combine or two, and they're all sitting out there. Um, I'm not saying that we're not worried about combines. We are, um, but we're actually short combines. And I think red, green, whatever. Uh, we're all short the 16, 17, 18 models just because there wasn't oh, absolutely. enough production. Yeah. But uh, we are concerned about combines that, again, those 11 through 14s, uh, four-wheel drives. Uh, surprisingly, uh, we had a little bit of win there or a little bit of run there at the end of the year, uh, first start of the year. But uh, four-wheel drive inventory uh, is a bit of concern, just a little bit slow moving. Um, yep. But we got some... I mean, there's some pockets there, Casey, that, uh, uh, you know, good. They moved. You, you can tr- go trade it in. You're helping out that farmer that wants to upgrade because we need his piece. I mean, there's there's not a better position for a farmer that when a dealership is coming out to that dealer or that farmer and saying, hey, we need your piece because I got a home for it over here. Uh, yeah. It's a perfect solution for that guy trading in, perfect solution for that guy looking for something. Uh, so there are some pockets that uh, we're we're pretty uh, pretty excited about. Yeah, and that's that's where my I'm the same with you on your on your combine analogy there. I just I have a same thing. If we had you know the the 18s and in the 17s and the 16s, I think we'd be we have those machines and we've got a lot of people working on those. It's the we start kind of getting into you know the, the little bit of the 15s, but mostly the 14s and the 13s and the 12s. <clears throat> that's when you really start seeing a big swing in in the overall market, and and that's where 
that tightening. I mean, they're just like that, at that point, those machines, <clears throat> excuse me, those machines are have become very much a commodity. They're just because there's so many of them. And you want a 1,500-hour combine, well, you got a lot to pick from. And But the par, bar problem, and I think a lot of people's problem is this, is that everyone's got a 1,500-hour combine they want to trade in. And that, and that's where we're running into the biggest hurdle. But if we know that going into it, I mean, uh, us dealerships, yes, you want the business, okay? Um, yep. We've been through the ups. We've been through the downs. We went through, I mean, the history is still pretty fresh as far as uh, – 13, 14, and 15, and the, right. the purge of equipment that we've had to go through. I mean, the pain, uh, we the pain is still fresh. Um, but knowing that, one thing those dealerships hopefully will recognize is is that that model years of 12, 13, 14, we talked maybe a little bit of 11s too. I mean, it is a commodity. And, and treat, it as, treat it as such, buy it as such, and gosh darn, if you don't have a home for it and or if you're not already already at auction prices, then don't do the deal. No matter how right. bad we want that fresh new sale. I mean, if the dynamics don't work, the economics don't work. It, it doesn't work. Right. What's your what's your thought on this right here? So this is something I've been giving some thought to. And I, and I think as commodity prices come up, like you said, there's that replacement factor that's playing in there. How much of a factor in uh, could we see in the end of the year with those those year model combines, um, those 13, 14, <clears throat> 11s um, model combines out there? How much of a factor do you think that could play in the overall retail marketplace if we kind of hit that, well, we have no really our, our best option for these combines is, uh, is the auction block, irregardless of whether you have them at auction price or not. But... How much of an effect on the retail market do you see that happen? There will be this huge, I think there's going to be a huge premium for that that one and two and three-year-old stuff. It's when you get to that five, six, seven-year-old stuff that we're starting to see out there pile up now, there will be, there's going to make some kind of splash in the marketplace. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, that's a tough one. I just, I don't think you can buy them low enough. I mean, to put it bluntly. Uh, there's just not enough. There's not enough farmers. <laughs> I mean, if you, have, right. if you have a fifteen hundred dollar machine or a two thousand dollar machine, and you want to go trade in, and your only option is another fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar machine, I mean, it, it just there, it makes no sense. You know. Right. So then it will go to the auctions. Um, I don't know if you mentioned about the the recon business, but. Uh, I mean, could you buy a combine cheap and put 30, 40 grand into it and have a combine that will last you? You know, you always look at your cost per acre, cost per hour, and it might make sense to buy an older combine and fix it up and run it for the X number of hours rather than going out and buying that $400,000 new one. Um, yeah. I Again, there, people will find a way to adapt. Um, yeah. It, it, so... I just feel that there's going to be too much, uh, whether it be tractors, whether it be combines, more specifically, more specifically combines and cornheads. Uh, there's just too much in the marketplace uh, for the industry or for the consumer base to to absorb it. Uh, and we, yep. the farmers have to be aware of it. The dealerships have to be aware of it, aware of it, and act appropriately. Yeah, I hope my hunch is right. I hope a lot of these. 
these older combines like this are the ones that we can market as you know cheap you know cheap leases or something like that where you're looking at 60 to 80 bucks an hour to operate these things and they become a uh, a secondary machine you know backup machine i, I you know the typical i want to rent a combine every year type stuff well our rental rate versus what they can lease them for are are significantly higher you know what i mean what rental rate is compared to what these are so you look at hopefully the, we can do that you look at the lease side of it though um leasing's not an option on the older combines just because uh, at the end of the lease it's older than 10 years old um mm-hmm. there might be an opportunity you just mentioned as far as the rental thing but uh, my experience experience with rentals is no matter what what rent that you collect mm-hmm. it never pays for the recon necessary to resell it I, I thought I was the only one that had that problem. I didn't, <laughs> no. I didn't realize it was a universal deal there. I think it happens on the red side, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that renting thing. I mean, it's it's a good service to the customers, and I and I understand why we do it. And it is it's what it is. What it is and, and I'm glad that, that we that we do that. But at the end of the day, it is it makes I, it hard. I, there is, it, it's tough. There is an opportunity there, though. Um you know, as far as farm, bigger farmers need equipment here. If you do it right, manage it right, set it up right, have your rules in place. Uh, I do think there's an opportunity there. Opportunity there. Yeah, I do too. I think, but it's like any other. That's why, like the uh, construction companies have, have done such a such a great job in the rental side. It's it's rental utilization, right? Oh. And you take a, a wheel loader or something like that. You can run that thing 365 days a year, 24 seven, right? No, no big deal. Um, combine, you've got if you're lucky. I mean, and you run it every single solitary day that you could possibly run it. You might have. 90 days 120 <laughs> I, I, days maybe you know? I, I wasn't quite that high but you're right i mean uh you look at you talk about combine rentals you look at some of the companies uh machinery link being one in particular that yeah. ran them from texas you know all the way up to the north here uh mm-hmm. they had two runs at it two different versions of what they tried to accomplish and, and they could not make it work uh yeah it's it's renting combines is just a tough tough deal. Uh, renting a tractor, uh, renting some other piece of equipment, uh, a little bit more, uh, um, not as high of a risk. It's just that combine thing is a tough tough deal. Yep, the combine deal works if you can have. You leave one farm and then you just drive down the road and you drop it off the next farm. You drive down the road and drop it off the next farm. We tried to do something similar like that, where you where you've and, and different places that I've worked, we've tried to do that, where you've done the we're going to start the very southern end of our territory and, and work north, and we'll have whatever however many combines. And it, it just doesn't work. You don't you don't get the the fluidness that no. you on paper. It's great, man. It works great on paper. I can tell you that much, but. <laughs> When you actually have to implement it in real life, it doesn't work so well. Sort of like my golf game. Man, it looks great on paper, <laughs> but the reality of my golf game is a completely different thing. Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you on that one. Okay. All right, one more thing. Let's talk about this, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. All right, so as you look out towards the end of the year and you see what's happening now, we're headed into uh, the spring here is about – about done the spring the spring planting seasons kind of like you talked about wrapping up here and headed towards the end what's your overall feel for the end of 2019 um going into harvest those kind of things what's your feel for the uh for the economy oh you know the 
I think it's just steady as it goes. I don't think there's going to be a a huge bump, even if the China thing, you know, when they meet on the 20th or whatever in June, I think there might be a lot of rhetoric going on to uh, see who's bigger, and they might come to this grandiose deal come the 20th of June or something like that. But I just think that initial bump of when the tariffs, if it does end, I think there will be an, an initial bump, but overall, the 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 basics of the economy are pretty good. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't think I don't see a, a big windfall of anything. I see discipline. I see steady as it goes. Grab an opportunity here or there, but don't get carried away, and just just execute. I guess I don't see a big big. Uh, Big movement in things. I would, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, I think if we do get something happens with China and we get something, something will happen with China before the summer's over. Yeah, I, I, I can agree. promise you I that. I do agree. You know, whether whether we win or we lose, and they want to try to spin it on whatever, it, it, something's going to happen going into the twenty twenty election cycle. You can, I, you can I guarantee, I can both, promise you that. I guarantee both sides will say they won. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I mean, it will be, yep, well, see, we want it. We want it for you, America. Good job. And then you won't be able to tell heads from tails on what it was. But at the end of the day, I, I am, I think the weather is going to have a bigger, um, bigger splash in the market than the tariffs ever will. I mean, the tariffs are going to bring that stabilization to the market, but the swings that we see, the volatility where money can be made, is, is going to happen from the weather. So, um, you know, I've got, I've had Sean Hackett on here last time, normal Wednesday guest, talking about the markets. But he, uh, you know, he followed sunspots and, yeah. and how that affects the the weather and all those kind of things. And and this, it's the stuff he talks about. So I mean, it's it's it happens. There's no there's no we can't deny any of that stuff from happening. So um, if we are in that cycle that he that he was describing in 134, if you get a chance to go back and take a listen to it, but um, this weather thing is is going to be an issue moving forward. You know, we're going to talk about. It's just going to get harder and harder, um, and, and there's going to be more and more, um, you know, crop failures and, and stuff like we're seeing now, and those kind of things taking place. So, at the end of the day, I, I look out the end of 2019, and I'm I'm a little bit bullish. Um, I, I just, but I think any real um, economic push that we see in, in agriculture is going to be in 2020. It's not going to be in 2019. A little bit towards the end of the year, but the big kind of you know budding of this of this new flower that we call uh, farming is going to happen in 2020 on forward. So um, that, that part, I'm, that's kind of my, I, my I, approach. I would agree with as far as, I mean, it's going to take a while for the, again, uh, we talked a little bit about the debt, a uh, little, little bit about the, right. uh, um, eliminating or minimizing that stress level that's been building. And it'll just take a while for our emotions to, to work through it. And I would agree 2020 would be more of a uptick than anything uh, here in 2019. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Don, it's a great conversation as usual. Uh, we're going to have a couple opportunities here this year to see each other face to face i'm looking forward to that yeah. catching up with you and see you. doing all that fun stuff see you at the end of july and i'm going to end you by the comment i made at the beginning of the podcast in the words of casey seymour there is no easy button <laughs> well i appreciate that buddy and uh 
Don, if, if folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions, or maybe maybe sell you some more red combine since you're since you're running low, how would uh, how would they do that? My friend, anything 16, 17, 18, you guys give me a call. I <laughs> uh, can reach Don Aubrey at uh, uh, 701-356-0130. You can always email me at Donald dot at titanmachinery.com right on okay well don always a pleasure man love talking to you love catching up with you so uh until i see you here in july have a good uh, rest of the spring here and we'll talk to you then bud all right buddy take care casey thanks for listening to this edition of the moving iron podcast now part of the global ag network if you'd like to continue any of these conversations you can hit me up on facebook twitter or instagram at moving iron llc you can also send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com you can also visit the moving iron podcast youtube channel and watch market roundup with chip nellinger sean hackett and angie setzer also tax news with glenn birnbaum Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. See you.